Um, I, I, I find personally one of the hardest things for me to do um, is to answer a question. I know that sounds kind of funny, but let me tell you the question I find hard to do. When somebody comes to me and asks me the question, Bob, what do you do for a living? Now, I'm not bashful. I mean, I'm not bashful about what I do for a living. I'm proud to be a pastor. Uh, uh, but I tell you what, uh, with it comes some biases, though. And you might agree with me that when someone asks me what I do, that, that, that what's going through my head is the minute I tell them I'm a pastor, what's going to happen is, is that every thought, every concern, every experience that that person may or may not have had with a church is going to be filtered onto me. It's going to be mirrored onto me. And the minute I say I'm a pastor, then all of a sudden I'm a part of that, whatever it is that they think. So, uh, so sometimes I'm kind of hesitant a little bit about uh, answering that question, but I'm, I'm happy to do that. We were, a couple years ago, we were at a party, a, a gathering, I should say, a, an outdoor gathering with some friends. And um, uh, one of our friends had brought another friend, and none of us knew who this person was. And they came up and introduced themselves to me. You know, I think his name was like Bill or something like that. And, and uh, so I was getting to know Bill, and then Bill asked the question, Bob, what do you do? And I said, well, I, uh, I kind of wanted to play with him a little bit. And I said, I, uh, I sell fire insurance. And uh, think about that for a second. And then, uh, so, then uh, so then he says, uh, really? And I said, no, nah, let me tell you the truth. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he says, oh. And I said, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I work for the IRS. So I didn't feel as bad after that. And then the only thing that came to my mind was, uh, do you recognize my face? I mean, anyway, so it all, it all kind of went well. So questions, we're, we're in our uh, last um, message on questions, and we want to talk about uh, this question today. We've been, we've been trying to answer some really tough questions, and that's kind of been the impetus of our series. Uh, God, why would, why would God allow bad things in my life was our first week. Second week, um, I took us through uh, what it was to be a part of a church that people outside of the church think that we in the church are hypocrites. So hypocrisy, why are Christians hypocrites? Pastor Pam led us through uh, understanding Scripture and uh, understanding the context of Scripture and that there are many passages that say different things, but really what we're looking for is what is the meaning, what is the overall focus of what God's Word has to say, and it's about being in relationship with God. And then we looked at last week, you know, is Christianity relevant? And we, we look at today that we can buy into almost any kind of ideal or any kind of thought. And, and what about Christianity? Is it, is it still relevant? And is there a, a, a place for it today? So today I want to end with this question. And the question is, is the church necessary? Think about that. Is the church necessary? Is, is the church really necessary at all um, in, in our life? And uh, thinking about this, um, it kind of makes you wonder a little bit about, you know, what is it that people think? So if I said to you, what do you think of when you think of the word church, what comes to mind? Now, depending upon what kind of experience you've had in the church, so to speak, you might think it's like the building. You might think it's a white steeple. Some might say, well, it's, you know, choirs or it's praise bands. Others might say, well, it's, um, it's a place where, you know, we come together for worship. But, but, you know, there are some people, when they think of the word church or when they, when they come into contact with the church, it's not such a positive experience at all. In fact, it's, uh, it's one of those experiences where, where they don't see um, what we would call the real church or the true church or the Bible church or the scripture church. They see a bunch of people who maybe uh, think of the church in a different way. So for them... Maybe the church hasn't been a place of peace. Maybe it hasn't been a, a place of love. Maybe it hasn't been a place of acceptance and harmony. Maybe it's been about judgment 
or maybe it's been about, you know, uh, exclusion and, and those kind of things. So depending upon your thoughts about church um, will, will help inform how you answer the question, is church necessary? So some people, when they think about church, they say like the church is like a museum, that it's a great place to go for a piece of time in history that's been preserved that we can look back on history when we come into the church because all the things have been preserved and nothing changes and it's a safe space. They would also say that the church is a museum, that um, it's a great place to come when it's raining outside. You know, and come inside and kind of kill a couple hours or two and then, and then uh, see, they go to St. Paul. But then kill a couple hours or two and then, and it, meaning the two hours of church, folks, not that St. Paul's a bad church. Okay, crickets, okay. So, um, but the other piece is that some think it's not, not just a museum, um, some will think that it's, you know, like a, a, a social organization, that you go to church and you, know, you get to hang around, you know, other people that uh, do things that are fun and you get to talk about you know, how much money you make and things like that. Some people think that that's what church is. Others think that the church is a place where um, there's, a, there's a purpose and that the church is focused on trying to help people, that, that it's people that the church comes alongside of people at time of birth at time of marriage, at time of children, and at time of death. And so it's like a seasonal thing. So all people, depending upon who you ask, have a different impression about what church is. Now, for many Americans, they think church is a place to go to make, meet the need that they have. And what I say about that is, is that uh, some folks are what we call church shoppers, they go around from church to church. Some of us have done that. And we, we check out this, we check out that. Hey, they got a good children's program. Oh, they got a great slide in the children's ministry area. We'll, we'll go there. Or they do this or they do that. And that's how they pick the church. And the question becomes, is the church, is it necessary? Is it something that's of, that's of importance? So when we think about that, we, we think about what people might think. And they say that if Jesus were alive today, what would Jesus say when Jesus looked at the church of today? Would Jesus say that this is exactly what I thought it should be, that the church is my bride and that it is the organism that is transforming the world? Or would Jesus look at the church today and say, wait a minute, something's awry. Something's not just right. And we need to take that into context because as I've been trying to, and as Pastor Pam, as we've been trying to through this series, we've been trying to get us to think a little bit, to answer those, those tough questions. It's important for us to be clear that, that when Christians are calling upon other Christians to hurt people, when Christians are calling upon other people to, to treat others with disrespect and to make them feel small, that's not the gospel message. That Jesus said that, that we're to love each other, that we're to engage with each other, and so therefore, we have to be careful inside of the church what kind of message we're living outside and, and how we treat people and how we love one another and the things in which we do to give. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Jesus said that, that, that we are to be lights in the world. Jesus said that we're to be salt. We're to add saltiness to a rather bland world. We're to, we're to bring something of nature. We're to bring something of goodness to the life of the church. So people wanna follow a Messiah that represents that. People wanna follow a Lord who represents life and eternal happiness. So the question becomes, who are we as a church? Uh, many people are opting out of church today, not because they don't believe in God, but because they don't believe in the church. 
And, and this is a really startling kind of thing. And, and I'm not trying to like be a, you know, a downer here in the message today. But I think it's really important for us to look at that, especially when we start looking around the room and we find out who is and who isn't in our churches today. In fact, most churches, as I talk to my colleagues, as I read uh, studies, as I listen to uh, read blogs, as I listen to to, uh, all sorts of things, I begin to, to understand that there's a common problem that the church is faced with today. And people wonder, what is the relevance of our message? What is the purpose of our message? What is the significance of why the church is is in the world? So when you look around, you know, you take a look at 18 to 22-year-olds. We take a look at where they are in our churches today, not just here at St. Paul, but we take a look all across the country, all across the world. Um, It's the millennial generation. They're they're vacant. They're not not in churches. And these are the same kids that were in our youth groups. These are the same kids that, that we took through confirmation. These are the same kids that worshiped with us while they were in high school. These are the same kids that had a connection. But something happens when they, when they graduate from high school. Something happens when they go off to college. And if we, the church, aren't careful, we lose them. We lose them to the world, so to speak. We lose them to whatever the world is trying to teach, and it can become very confusing with who they are. When people are asked what do they hope to see in the church, and what they hope to see in the community as the church, here's a couple of things that they said. They said that they hope that the church is a place that accepts you for you, so accepts you for you, no matter where you came from, no matter what you wear, no matter what you look like. This is what they're saying. A church is a very active place in helping people in the community who are hurting or who are in need. So there's a compassionate side that they hope that the church will be. They say that they want the church to be a place where people care deeply for and support each other. So, so the question becomes, are we like rubbing it in or are we rubbing it out when, when we're having challenges with people? Lastly, they say that they want the church to participate uh, in a way that uh, when they come to churches, that they can understand God's word, that they can understand the scriptures and that they're, that they're not being taught some language that is too ethereal, some language that's too above their heads that they have no concept as to what it is, but they wanna get down to the roots of what Jesus had to say and look at the life of Jesus. What's interesting is what's not in what they're looking for, what's not in the church that they're seeking is they're not, they're not wrestling over worship styles they're not wrestling over preaching or Bible studies, and they're not wrestling, you know, they're not looking for rules to live by. Those aren't the things that they're looking for. They're looking for the impact that the church will have in their life. Now, like you, um, as I talk with people and as I read people and as I get to know them and as I look at my own life, I've come to understand that there's one thing that most of us want, and I would be willing to say that all of us want. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's one thing that all of us want in this life. And um, it's not money, although you'll have people say, if I could just win the Powerball or if I could just do this, then, then boy, I'd be happy. Uh, others would say, you know, well, maybe it's, it's, it's a car or a house in a gated community. It's none of that. You know what the one thing that I believe all of us want? And that's to be loved. We want to not only love somebody, but we, we ourselves, we want to be loved. And, and that's the piece that we've got to really look at. That's the thing that, that people are seeking. That's, a, that's what people are wanting the church to reflect, is a place that can love others and where they can feel loved when they are a part of the church, that they can feel accepted, that they can come into a church community and understand that, that their brokenness is just like our brokenness, that my brokenness is your brokenness, that we share in all of that. 
but that more importantly, we have this bond where we can love one another. And the question becomes, are we willing as the church to do everything in our power to make sure that the world sees and understands that we can be a people of love? Are we willing to risk whatever it takes, whatever we are, to make sure that the world does not see the church as a place of rules and regulations and who's in and who's out and who's accepted and who's not, but that we are truly Jesus the Christ in the world and that we are loving people through challenges of their lives, we're loving people through our disagreements that we have in lives, that we are loving people because the cross, at the foot of the cross, it's a level ground and we all are right there. Well, mid-stride into his ministry, um, Jesus had a problem. And the problem was that um, people were starting to catch on a little bit to his story. They were, they were catching on a little bit that he was the Messiah. They were trying to understand what, what, what he meant by I'm God and, and, and God and I are one and those kind of things as John would reflect in his gospel. But it got to a point where, where people weren't really convinced and they kept wanting more and more signs, more and more symbols. They were wanting more and more things, so to speak, to prove that he was who he was. So Jesus gathers up some disciples and they start taking a walk and he's uh, in, the, in the region of Caesarea Philippi and he's uh, having a little walk with him, a little chat, and Matthew tells us a little bit about what happens in that moment. It says, um, when Jesus came to this region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples a question. So even Jesus is asking questions. So listen to the question he asked them. Who do people say that I am, or say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people? And they replied, so these are the ones around Jesus, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So right now, their answer is, is just a very quick reflection of, well, as we kind of are walking around and people are whispering in our ears, they, they think you're one of the prophets, they think that you are sent by God to bring a proclamation of God's word. That's what a prophet does. A prophet proclaims the word of God. So we, they believe that you're that. Now Jesus, he's not satisfied with that. So he casts the wide net and then he says, no, wait, no. I, I, need, to, I need to kind of bring the net in. And now he's getting real personal. He's getting down to the nitty gritty. He's getting right down into the, into the weeds, so to speak, uh, right down to the place. He's pulling the weeds back and he says, this is the spot I want to be. And he looks right at them and he says, but what about you? You all are following me. You all are seeing what I'm doing. You're learning from me. So doesn't matter what the other people, but what do you think? Why are you here, so to speak? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, I, I'm one who reads the scriptures in a way that uh, Peter, um, as rough and tumble as he was, he was a fisherman, uh, probably didn't communicate very well. Um, you know, probably just was like the one that got away kind of thing. But, but he, Peter was the guy who communicated, it seems like on behalf of the other disciples. Whatever they were thinking, Peter was gonna speak up and he was gonna say, so Peter answers the question, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then all of a sudden Jesus says this, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you are blessed. You are blessed for this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is Petros. You are Petros, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus is, is complimenting. He is saying to Peter that Peter recognizes who he is. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're gonna become the church. And the word that he uses here is ekklesia, another Greek word. Ek, you know, it's, it's broken down to a couple of things. Ek means out and kaleo or klesia. Uh, th- that basically word means call. So, so Jesus says, it's an outward call that my people, the church, are gonna be an outward call into the world. That my church is not gonna be something internal, but my church, ecclesia, is gonna be out there. And all of a sudden, Peter, Peter recognizes that his life will never be the same. And if we read in Acts and we continue on through the stories, we see that Peter struggled with this idea of church as to who is accepted and who isn't until finally some visions come his way. And we see at Cornelius' house and, and we see in other teachings where Peter recognizes and realizes that the faith of Jesus is not just for a select few, but it's for everybody. The church, ecclesia. The question is, is the church necessary? You know, Peter, as he's answering this question to Jesus, Peter is wrestling within his mind. You see, you know, he's, who is the king he's thinking? You know, Caesar, Caesar was there, so Caesar's a king. He's thinking, well, we have King Herod Agrippa. Uh, he's a king. And, and Pontius Pilate, who's the procurator of, of, uh, of Jerusalem, or, or Ju- that area there in Jerusalem, they're thinking like, okay, well, Pilate's like a king. And Jesus says, you're surrounded by all these earthly kings, but who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ. You are king of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus sees that in him and commissions the church. Is the church necessary? There's two parts of the gospel message. The first part is what we call the evangelical message. The evangelical message is what a lot of churches teach. It's probably what a message that most of us grew up with. And the evangelical message is that you cannot save yourself, that you need a savior. And the only perfect person that can save you is Jesus the Christ. And therefore, you must enter into relationship with Christ, but also uh, you need to hopefully recognize what Christ did on the cross to, to give his life for you, that he is giving you life in him. So that's the, that's the evangelical message. We give our life to Christ. And some will say that when we give our life to Christ and that transformation happens, some will say that that's what's called being born again. That when they say, are you born again, it means that I have accepted this in my life. The evangelical message. But what happens is the church often only rests on that one portion of the gospel. And we forget there's a second part of the gospel. We want to say, hey, it's, it's all about making, you know, uh, we're converting people to Jesus, converting people, but we've missed the second part. The second part is what Jesus established that day with Simon Peter, ecclesia. Jesus established the church. It's called the social gospel. <clears throat> Evangelical gospel, give life to Christ. Social gospel, live life of Christ through the church, meaning be sent out by God, being sent out by Jesus, ecclesia, ek and kaleo, sent out for all, and therefore the mission and purpose of the church. You see, we confuse this because we want to boil faith down to just a me and Jesus thing. And God says it's community. It's not singular. 
but it's, it's plural. The great composer Giacomo Puccini, um, he wrote a lot of operas and, um, and, and is well known for that. And, and in 1922, um, he was diagnosed with cancer and Puccini uh, was writing his greatest, what was to be called his greatest work, the Taranda at, at that particular time. And as he was writing that opera, he was getting weaker by the moment. And his, his students, his disciples said, Master, you need to rest. Master, put down the pen. Master, take care of yourself. In 1924, he goes to Brussels and, and he, he engages into a surgical procedure. And his disciples, um, they, they remembered his words that, that you're going to have to just take this on and carry this on for me. And two days after his surgery, he succumbs to his wounds and he dies. Well, what happens is, is that uh, Tuscanini, Arturo Tuscanini, his favorite student of Puccini, Tuscanini begins to lead an effort to complete this great work that Puccini was writing. And it comes to a point at a, at a great concert in Milan, and Tuscanini is directing as the student on behalf of the master, and he gets to the point in the, in the opera and he stops and he lays his baton down and he takes a step back and he turns and looks at audience that's there, and it's like right in the middle of the opera, and tears in his eyes. And he said, at this point here, the master's life ceased and his work was no more. And there was a hush in the auditorium. And then Tuscanini picks up the baton and with a smile on his face, he says, but we, his disciples, had made that promise that we would continue and complete the work that he has begun. And he went and he led and he directed the rest of the opera and the crowds roared with great anticipation and excitement. You see, it's us. The master died on a cross. The master rose from the dead. The master has asked you and me, the church, to continue his work into the world. That we need to look beyond ourselves and not make our faith journey some narcissistic piece that we get to decide who's in and who's out. But instead, that we look at what the scripture says, that Jesus Christ died for all. And when we begin to embrace that kind of message, when we are the church, we will see the world transformed in our lifetime and that every person will know that the church is necessary. Why? Because Jesus created it for such a mission. Let's pray.